0: Good morning, Foothills Church. How's everybody feeling today? Are you loving the uh, changing weather? It's getting warm outside, and pollen is back. Celebrate. Uh, My name's Clayton King. It's great to be back at Foothills Church. I want to welcome all of you here in the room in our Bearden campus. This is my second time preaching here. Uh, Back in 2018, pre-pandemic, I had a chance to come and serve your student ministry. We saw 101 students saved in one Wednesday night youth event. Uh, It was right next door. It was an amazing night. And I got a chance to meet Pastor Trent uh, that night, and for the last several years, we've been trying to find a time I could come and preach for you on a Sunday. And I am so excited to come and preach for the next two and a half to three hours. It's going to be an amazing time together. Hey, before we do get like uh, really started today, I want to celebrate something. Uh, I want to celebrate in the first service today, right here in this room alone, we saw 20 people put their faith in Jesus right here today, confessing Christ as Lord. So I'm excited about seeing another great gathering at both of our locations today. I live in the great state of South Carolina. Some of you may have been there before. Maybe you were running from the IRS or you were trying to eat some good barbecue, but I live in a little town called Anderson I'm an evangelist. This is my 35th year in ministry. I started preaching when I was 14, and I'm also a pastor at a church called New Spring. Uh, today is my wedding anniversary. I'm with you guys on my, on my anniversary. Today we celebrate 22 years, 10 months, and four days today. I'm married a Georgia girl. Her name is Shari. We're partners in ministry. She's an author. She's getting her master's degree right now in um, in theology. Have two teenage boys. Jacob is 19. He's a college freshman. He has been called to preach and he's traveling all over the country preaching the gospel now. And every time he preaches, God uses him. Have a 16-year-old son named Jojo. He's six foot four. He plays football and basketball, and he runs track, and he has a girlfriend. <laughs> this is my first experience with a like, a am not a girl dad, but now I'm a girlfriend dad, and I really like this girl, and if he breaks up with her, I'm gonna kick him out of the house and let her be a part of our family. Um, It's really great to be able to be with you guys and ladies today. Um, We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23. The verses and the scripture and the points will all be up on the screens. But I want to kind of tell you where I'm going today. It's a real honor. Uh, Pastor Trent, thank you for allowing me to be here. Um, I really love your people and just love, I love East Tennessee. I love the mountains. I love Knoxville. Fun fact, in the 1900s, I went on three dates with a girl from UT. She was a national champion high diver. We did not work out, but that's okay. I have deep roots with the University of Tennessee. I can remember when Phil Fulmer was winning national championships once, right? Is that, or twice? I can't remember. I'm a Clemson Tiger fan, so I love a different color orange, but UT orange is close enough, and I'm prophesying this is your year. You're gonna win the national championship this year. I prophesy in Jesus' name. As long as it's not Alabama, I'll be happy. All right, I said it, now let's go. You know, uh, as a communicator, I'm I'm a pastor. I'm also an author. I've written 18 books. I've been doing this for 35 years. And I study communication a lot. I want to be able to connect with an audience when I'm preaching to them. And one of the things that experts and scientists have told us is that there are certain phrases that if you use them as a communicator, you actually uh, connect with people in a deeper way. The synapses in your brain will fire off in a completely unique way if the communicator says, let me tell you a story. Just that phrase gets people's brains connected in a completely different way. There's another phrase that all of us connect to in a different way than most other words, and it's this phrase, last chance. Now, some of you know that when you hear someone say, this is your last chance, whether or not you need more tube socks, you feel like you gotta buy tube socks. This is your last chance. And when we say last chance, there's a part of us that God has hardwired into us to feel a sense of urgency, to feel like, okay, I've gotta do it right now. I'm convinced that car commercials on the radio and on television have, have somehow dialed into this psychology. And when when we hear the phrase, last chance, it makes us wonder if we're about to miss something really, really important. I can remember uh, the night that I became a Christian. It was 1987, and uh, Prince and Michael Jackson were still alive, and Bon Jovi was playing rock and roll, and the Dallas Cowboys were terrible. Um, I'm a Cowboys fan, that's a confession, not a testimony. And I can remember so vividly the night that I became a Christian. I went to a youth rally with my church youth group, and I didn't go because I wanted to hear a message. I went to the youth rally because there was a girl named Barbara, and I had a crush on her, and my goal was to kiss her on the church van. (laughs) That's a confession, not a testimony. I'm telling you for real. And I did not kiss Barbara that night, but I did meet Jesus that night. And I was raised in three church traditions. Now, if you're not from a church background, this may not make a lot of sense to you, but um, I was adopted when I was a couple of weeks old. My parents raised me in a Southern Baptist church, so my parents were Southern Baptist. I went to a Presbyterian Christian school for 11 years, and then my grandfather was Pentecostal. Let me repeat that for you in case you missed how jacked up that is. Parents were Southern Baptist. Presbyterian Christian school, Pentecostal grandpa. You know what that means, right? It means I need counseling and therapy. It also means that I was predestined to speak in tongues while eating fried chicken, drinking wine at an elder's meeting. (laughs) Come on, people, that was funny. Give me an A for effort. That was funny. I don't care who you are. So as a little kid, I made a profession of faith. In other words, I quote, and I'm making air quotes with my fingers, I got saved when I was seven. Now what that meant was I believed in Jesus with my head. I didn't really care about Jesus in my heart. I mean, I was a religious kid. In a religious family, in a small little country farming town in South Carolina, everybody went to church, everybody was a Christian. If you drove a truck, you were a Christian. If you like sweet tea, if you got biscuits on your gravy, you were a Christian. And so I kind of grew up in it, and I understood who Jesus was as a historical figure, but I didn't really know him, love him, or care about him in my heart So when I was seven because I did not want to die and go to hell, and because we had communion once a quarter at my church, I saw all my friends taking communion who had been saved and baptized, and I put two and two together. I'm like, well, if I don't want to burn in hell, and if I want to eat in church and drink wine in church, I need to get saved. So Sunday morning comes. I'm not a bashful kid. I'm very extroverted. I'm very aggressive when I want something. I just stepped out of the aisle. I walked to the front. My pastor took me by the hand and said, Clayton, what do you want to do today? I said, I want to get saved and baptized. He said, why? I said, I don't want to go to hell, and I want to eat and drink wine in church. And he said, son, we are Baptists. That is not wine. That is Welch's grape juice. He clarified it for me very clearly. I guess I'm just trying to make a point that I had this idea of what being a Christian was, but, and this is where I want to dive into Luke 23, for the next seven years, all I felt was confusion and doubt about my eternal soul. I knew even as a seven year old kid that I wasn't really a Christian. I knew that I was faking it. I knew I was playing a game. I knew that I was not really truly born again. I was just going through the religious motions. And if you come from a Roman Catholic background or a United Methodist background or a Church of Christ background or an agnostic background or a non-religious background, we all go through the motions in certain parts of our lives. What I wanna do for the next 25 or 30 minutes, I wanna help you see what it really means to be a Christian from one of the most important stories in the Bible. And my goal is by the time I'm done, You will, everybody here, everybody at the Bearden campus, you will know for a fact, without any doubt, that you're going to go to heaven when you die and that you have a relationship with Jesus while you live. That is my only agenda. That is my only goal. That is my sole purpose, not just for being here at Foothills Church today, but for living. I want you to know with confidence that you belong to Jesus. There are lots of things in life you could get wrong and you're gonna recover from it. Like, I know that some of you wore parachute pants back in the day, you recovered from it. Some of you bought a timeshare, you'll recover, okay? I had a mullet in 1986, I recovered. There are some things in life that you will mess up and miss, you'll recover. This is the one thing you better not miss. This is the one thing, if you get it wrong, you don't recover from this. I'm talking about your eternal soul. I cannot exaggerate it enough, I cannot overemphasize it enough. You better know for sure that you're a Christian because you never know when you're gonna have your last chance to respond to Christ. One of my best friends on Wednesday, younger than me, I'm 49, younger than me, had a massive heart attack and had to have emergency quadruple bypass surgery on Wednesday and I can't tell you how how, how much that affected me because just a, a little while ago we sat on my couch in my den and talked about our health We talked about death, we talked about life, we talked about family, and on Wednesday he almost met God face to face. This is the perfect story from the Bible of someone who had a last chance. Actually, two men, two men had a last chance to put their faith in Jesus. One got it wrong, one got it right. It's completely up to you which one of these people you're like. Not my decision, yours. Let me read this to you from Luke 23, uh, beginning in verse 32. This is the story of the crucifixion of Jesus and two men that Luke tells us about who died right beside the Lord. Two others, criminals, were also led away to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals. One on the right and one on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes and cast lots. Verse 35, the people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. Do do you feel the sarcasm? Do you feel the snark? Do you feel the, 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 the hatred for Jesus? They're mocking Jesus. Then the next verse says, The soldiers also mocked Jesus, and they came offering him sour wine. And they said to Jesus, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. With us approaching Easter, this is an appropriate time to talk about what Jesus went through. For the sake of time, I just want to pull one small detail out of the verse I just read. We're not done yet, but I want to show you what was behind this phrase they gave him sour wine to drink. In the original language, this basically means wine vinegar. In my house, when my wife mops our floors or I mop our floors, we use vinegar. When we wash clothes, we put a little bit of vinegar. Why? It's a cleaning agent. When they fed Jesus uh, this wine vinegar, one of the other gospels says that it was on a sponge and they stuck it in his mouth with a sponge Luke just tells us that it was sour wine, it was wine vinegar, but we know from history that in Roman culture, the Romans built public bathrooms, You can actually go to Rome or Ephesus now and you can see what these public latrines look like and only rich people were allowed to go and use public bathrooms. It's where the men would sit and do business deals together and history tells us that the Romans who had built these public latrines, rich people would pay money to go in and use them and slaves had the job of taking a sponge on the end of a stick dipping it in a bucket of vinegar and then handing it to rich people so they could, I want to be very delicate in how I say this, clean themselves after they used the bathroom. And then after they would clean themselves, they would give the sponge on a stick back to the slave. The slave would stick it in that bucket, rinse it out and wash it, and then give it to the next rich person that came in. When Jesus is hanging on the cross for your sins and my sin, to take the penalty that we deserve for the sins we had committed away from us and to take it on himself even though he was perfect, I want you to know just one small detail of his crucifixion, that when Jesus died for me and you, he died with the taste of our human filth and sin in his mouth. That's how much he cares for you. It's how much he loves me. In spite of my sin, he died for me. In spite of your failures, he took your place. The perfect, sinless Lamb of God led to the slaughter. And the only reason he did it was because he loved you and he loved, he loved me. And he died with that taste in his mouth. And so while Jesus is hanging there on the cross, Luke tells us in verse 38, an inscription <coughs> was written above him that says, this is the King of the Jews. Now, here's where the story gets really, really good. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. So we see that one of the criminals, <clears throat> even though he's at the point of death, even though he is at the point of dying and meeting God face to face, his heart is hard, he's cynical he's sarcastic, he's yelling insults at Jesus, daring him, taunting him to come off the cross and save himself. But the other criminal answered him and rebuked him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things that we did. But this man, Jesus, he has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, today you'll be with me in paradise. There is no more important story in the whole Bible than this one, because at the end of the life of Jesus Christ, we see him stretched in between sinners. Just like Jesus said, on the final day of judgment, my Father will come with the holy angels and he will separate the sheep from the goats to the right and to the left, here is Jesus in between sinners, right where he was his whole entire earthly ministry. Jesus was not offended by people's sin. He didn't think that he would get dirty by, by being near sinful people. He wasn't afraid to touch us in our humanity because he was a human himself. Here is Jesus, arms outstretched to the left and the right, doing all he can. His last mission was his first calling, Luke nineteen ten. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And while his hands and feet are nailed to a recycled, bloody, disgusting Roman cross with nine inch long, rusty railroad spikes. His hands are extended in grace and mercy to try to gather two more broken sinners into the kingdom of God, their last chance. The last thing he did. He didn't call down curses on all the people who were killing him. He prayed for his father to forgive them for the sin they unwittingly committed against him. And here are these two men, one of them is filled with bitterness, one of them is filled with humility. This is their last chance. I wanna focus on the one who was saved. How did he get there? Same way you and I get there. Four simple words lifted straight from the text. First of all, it starts with conviction. Don't miss this word, conviction. He was convicted of his guilt. Now, some people have a hard time believing that human beings are born sinners. Those people change their mind when they have children. (laughs) Am I right? Or am I right? Did you have to teach your kid to hit? Did you have to teach your children to lie? Did you have to teach your children to aggravate the living daylights out of you? No, you did not. Why? Because they're a bunch of little sinners. (laughs) So were you, so was I. Conviction is what we feel when we know that we are wrong. We've got two kids, our first one's a rule follower. He's the preacher, his name is Jacob. I love him with all of my heart. When he was a little kid, he would convict me. I used to call him the Holy Spirit. I'd be, thank you Holy Spirit, because he would always point out to me when I would mess up. I'm a rule breaker, my wife's a rule follower. He inherited that curse from her, he's a rule follower. One morning, I'm driving him to Aldersgate preschool. He was, I don't know, three or four years old. And I'm praying for him in the car. He's in the back seat in his booster seat or his car seat. And I pray, God, just bless Jacob today. Help him have a great day at preschool. I pray all of the friends share toys. I pray that he follows directions. I pray he doesn't argue with his teacher. I pray that he's a good little Christian man of God. And not 10 seconds later, somebody ran ran a four-way stop and almost hit me. And I scream at them through the windshield, You idiot! And from the back seat, my little Four-year-old Holy Spirit goes, Daddy, I thought you were a Christian. (laughs) He convicted me. (laughs) The Lord used him to convict me, and I had to repent right there to my son. Son, that's not what a Christian is supposed to do. I am a Christian. I promise you That was me acting like somebody who's not a Christian, and it gave me an opportunity to talk to him about about what that means. You know how I know I'm a Christian, guys? Let me tell you how I know I'm a Christian. It's not just that I remember the night that I got saved at that little church in Greer. I do, I remember many things about that night. I don't remember the date. I don't remember what I was wearing. I do remember my my Nike high tops. That's the only thing I remember. I I don't, I'm, I'm not a Christian because I remember the exact prayer I prayed. I'm not a Christian because I have total recall of all the details. Here's how I know I'm a Christian standing right here today in April of 2022. Because when I sin, God convicts me. That's how I know I belong to Jesus. So let me make this real practical for you. If you can sin and not feel convicted, you're probably not a follower of Jesus Christ. You may not be a born again Christian. I'm not saying looking at porn means you're not a Christian. I'm saying looking at porn and feeling no remorse means you don't know Jesus of Nazareth. I'm not saying telling a racist joke sends you to hell. I'm saying if you can listen to a racist joke and laugh about it and you say you're a Christian, you might not be a Christian if you don't feel convicted for it. Am I making you mad yet? I'm trying. I'm trying to get your attention. Anybody can say I'm a Christian doesn't make it so. Do I feel convicted? Does does the Spirit of God crush your heart when you speak in an angry tone to your wife? Can you yell at your kids and feel no remorse for it? Can I cheat on my taxes and feel like I'm doing okay because I don't trust Uncle Sam anyway and he wastes my money and they don't deserve my income? Can I do that? Tim Keller says if we sin and feel no conviction, it's because because we're not following Jesus of Nazareth, we're following a God that we have created in our own image. The first step to salvation is conviction. You've gotta admit your loss before you can be found. I've gotta admit that I am separated from God before I can be reconciled to God. It starts with conviction. Guilt is different, shame is different. Satan will try to condemn you for your sin. Jesus doesn't want to condemn you for your sin. Jesus wants to convict you of your sin. It's the best thing Jesus can do for you. It's an act of grace, it's God's mercy that he will convict me and make me feel bad when I do something wrong because it's actually his way of saving my life. So I don't know what your sins are that you've struggled with or that you've committed, I know you're not perfect, neither am I, but conviction can't be the only thing. Conviction has to take us somewhere. When this thief on the cross speaks up, he says to the other thief, the other criminal who's dying, they're literally nailed to trees. He says to him, don't you fear God? We're getting what we deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. He is convicted of his own guilt. We are getting what we deserve. That's conviction, just own up to it. But it's gotta lead somewhere. It's gotta lead to confession, confession. The word confess literally means to say with or agree with. You've heard the old phrase, hey, just fess up, fess up to it, means to speak. To confess means to speak with or agree with. It means that you just admit it, just own up to it. None of us like it, we all see through it when a celebrity, a star, an athlete, a politician, a pop singer. We hate it when somebody gets caught doing something. We know they're guilty because they're in the public eye. And what do they try to do? Instead of confessing, they try to spin it. Blame somebody else. I'm a victim here. My parents painted the nursery the wrong color and it messed with my development. We see right through that. We're like, shut up and take responsibility for it. Isn't it funny how we see that in other people, but we fail to do it in our own lives? All of us are good at spotting Pharisees among us. We just don't see the Pharisee in the mirror. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to be set free from the weight and the guilt of your sin, you've got to confess it out loud. This thief says it. He's convicted that he's guilty. And then verbally, verbally with his mouth, he says, I'm getting what I deserve. I deserve this. We don't know exactly what these men had done, but the Romans crucified people because they tried to rebel against the Roman government. This was an act of insurrection. He is on that cross because he deserved it. He confesses, he says it, I am guilty. There is so much freedom that comes with just saying out loud what you know privately to be true. Yesterday, I I, I watched a message Uh, of one of the pastors at my church at a men's gathering yesterday morning at 7 a.m., a guy that I grew up with from the time we were little kids. Confessed to a room full of men yesterday that he was addicted to pornography from the age of nine until he was in his 40s. Confessed that yesterday. And he said, I I texted him afterwards and told him thank you for being so honest. He said, you have no idea the freedom it brings me to be able to tell other men in the room that I have struggled with this sin, but Jesus has set me free from it, washed me clean. I'm not guilty and I don't have to fight it anymore. Jesus fought the battle for me. There is liberation on the other side of confession. Let's say it again. There is great liberation on the other side of confession because when you are convicted of your sin, if you let it sit there, it will sour and spoil and make you sick. But if you externalize that conviction, and you can externalize it by saying out loud I confess God I'm guilty I don't deserve the life you've given me then it takes you to the third part the third part straight from this story an actual conversion where you actually cross over from being dead to being alive you go from being a sinner to being saved You go from guilt and condemnation to freedom and liberation. It's a conversion. We're not born Christians. I want to say that again. You're not born a Christian. Nobody is. You might be born into a Christian family. I was adopted into a Christian family. But I wasn't born a Christian. Now, my Muslim friends, they're born Muslim. They believe that. My Muslim friends from other countries and even the ones I know here in America, I've been to India seven times. My Hindu friends, if they're born into a Hindu family, they believe that they automatically become a Hindu. Listen, you're not born into Christ, you're reborn into Christ. Jesus said it to Nicodemus in John 3, you have to be born again. That's what we mean by conversion. I've been to 51 or 52 countries now, and every country I used to go to— and. I would convert my American money to their currency, usually in the airport. First time I ever went to India, I walk up to the conversion counter, I hand them $100 American cash, they converted it to rupees. They gave me back 4,500 rupees for $100 cash, that was a conversion rate. One dollar was at that point in time worth 45 rupees. I give them my money, they give me their currency. That's what conversion is. I give my sin to Jesus, he gives me forgiveness, mercy, grace, life. He gives me the hope of eternity, the promise of security. That's the best deal in the history of the world, by the way. I know some of y'all can remember back in 08 when the economy tanked and Dave Ramsey's telling everybody, now's the time, buy, buy your property cheap, get in on it now. And I think a lot of us, when we hear the word last chance, we think I better get in on this right now, it might be my last chance. If you bought a house in 08 when the economy tanked, that house is worth way more now than it used to be. That's called a conversion rate. You know what we get to do? We get to trade our busted broke self in for a brand new you a brand new me because of Jesus. When the thief on the cross, who is speaking in this story, says these words, he converts. This is when he converts. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. In that simple prayer, you can see your future, you can. You do not have to make sure you pray the right words, you don't have to make sure that you cross yourself just so. For you to meet Jesus, you don't have to get down on your knees with your hands properly folded and your eyes properly closed. It's not the posture of your body that counts, it's the posture of your heart. It's not the holiness of your approach, it's the humility of your approach to Jesus. This man is literally moments away from death. He is about to die. There is no hope for him. There is no rescue for him. He's not coming back. This is it. His last chance. He's done. And he tells himself, I'm not going to miss my last chance. Jesus, just remember me when you come into your kingdom. Do, Do you notice what he's saying here? Hey, Jesus, I believe that you have authority. Heaven is yours. You rule and reign over it. I believe you came to die right here on this spot beside me. And the minute you die, you'll be in heaven ruling and reigning over eternity. When you get there, will you just think about me, remember me, and if by some way, by grace, you can let me in, I'll be eternally grateful. That's conversion. So here's what I wanna ask you. Have you ever asked Jesus to save you? It's amazing to me how many people are confused about whether or not they're gonna go to heaven or hell when they die because you don't have to be confused, you can know it. First John three says, I write these things to those of you who believe that you might know that you have eternal life. So when I ask people, do you know if you're gonna go to heaven or hell when you die? Most people will say to me, I hope I go to heaven. And I'll look at them and go, are you okay with hoping? I'm not okay with hoping. I wanna fully convert to faith in Christ now so that I can have, and here's the last word, confidence. I wanna be confident in this one thing. Do you see confidence in this story? Can I read you the moment where Jesus gives this guilty, dying sinner confidence that he's gonna to go to heaven when he dies? Jesus responds to his simple request by saying, truly I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. Let me translate that for you. I got you. All you have to do is ask. It's not that complicated. Why do people make it so hard? Why do churches and denominations and religions make you jump through all of these hoops and do all of these tricks and dress certain ways and you can't smoke this and you can't drink that and you can't get a tattoo? I'm not saying that behavior doesn't matter. Yes, behavior matters, but it's secondary. Let me tell you what matters most. God is a loving God. I have to trust that. God has offered me salvation through Jesus Christ. I have to receive that. Your salvation cannot be achieved. It can only be received. You cannot achieve salvation. You have to receive salvation because it is a free gift. It's a gift that God offers you like a Christmas present or a birthday present, and you just have to say thank you. If the thief had never asked, Jesus was under no obligation to save him. So how do you know that you're a Christian? Have you asked? And did you mean it? Confidence comes When a person like you feels the conviction of the Holy Spirit, while someone like me or Pastor Trent or somebody's preaching, a Billy Graham clip on Instagram, a preacher on the radio driving home from your kid's ball game, something touches your heart, you feel convicted for your sin. And then instead of trying to hide it and justify it, you confess and you say, you know what? You're right, God, I am a sinner. I'm sorry, I'm not perfect. And then you convert when you say, Jesus, I know that you can save me. You're the only one who can. Will you please come into my life and take control? And if you've done that, and many of you are gonna do that right now, many of you, dozens of you are about to do it right now. I know because I've been praying for you. We've been praying for you. God has already shown me many of you, right now your heart is beating in your chest. And you feel it. And it's not me you're feeling. Trust me, I'm not that good. I'm not that powerful. I got nothing to give you but Jesus. What you're feeling right now is the loving, merciful grace of God knocking on your heart. You know what Revelation 3.20 says? Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him. What you're feeling right now is the Spirit of God knocking, let me in. I want to give you good news. If you'll let him in, he won't come in to condemn you. He will come in to save you and set you free. You can have confidence if you'll ask. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and open your hearts right now. And I want you to be still before the Lord. I want you to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to make a decision right now. Will you feel the conviction, confess your sin, convert to faith in Christ, and leave with the confidence that you're a Christian? There are so many things in life that we can get wrong and we'll bounce back from it this is not one of them. Do not leave today doubting, wondering, hoping that you're a Christian. Nail it down. Invite Jesus in. He loves you. He'll say yes. So if you want to do that right now, right where you sit, this is your decision, but you have to make it. Don't kick this can down the road. Don't delay. Don't procrastinate. Don't put it on the shelf and say, I'll do it later. This might be your last chance. Learn from these two criminals. One died without Jesus, one died and met Jesus in eternity. Your choice. So if you'd like to open your heart to Jesus, pray this to him right where you sit. You've got to mean it. Whatever age or background you're from, if you're in your 70s or if you're 17, pray this prayer to Jesus, and if you mean it, he'll save you. Invite him in. Pray this to him in your heart right now. He's listening. Jesus, I need you. I repent of my sin. I put my faith in you. I confess you are Lord. And I give you my life. I believe in you, Jesus. I trust you alone. Save me right now, please. And I will follow you. I'm all yours, Jesus. And I'm all in. With your eyes closed and your hearts open, nobody looking around, don't miss this one point. When this criminal confessed his faith in Jesus, he did it publicly in front of a crowd. I'm going to ask you a question with your eyes closed and your hearts open. If you just prayed that prayer, you know who you are. I want you to do something quickly, immediately, and deliberately. If you just prayed that prayer, I want you to raise your hand right now. Right now. Put it up. Young or old, keep it up, please. Raise it high. Straighten your elbow all the way out. Don't have to be ashamed. There is no shame in the gospel. Raise your hand high enough. I'm looking, but I'm not going to make you do anything else that you don't want to do. Raise your hand really high because I'm going to count. You're not going to believe how many hands are raised. Keep them up, please. One I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Eyes closed, hearts open. For the 37 of you that just raised your hand, you put your hand up, can I ask you to stand up right now? Stand up right now. Just stand up. Publicly identify yourself with Jesus. Publicly take a stand. Publicly say, I have just prayed to receive Christ. Stay standing. Stay standing. Stay standing. Don't sit down. Stay standing. Stay standing. We are thankful for you. We are proud of you. Praise God. Stand up and don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. As a matter of fact, while we're all clapping, everybody open your eyes and look around at all these people standing up. Look around. Don't sit. Don't sit down. We are celebrating you today because of Jesus. Stay standing. Don't sit. Don't sit. Go ahead and go. Go ahead, guys. Go ahead. Go ahead and go. We're going to send some folks to you. We're all looking. Don't sit down. We're all looking. We know who you are. We're happy for you. Cats out of the bag, no surprises. I'm gonna ask everybody that's standing right now, would you just step out of your aisle? We've got some volunteers coming to lead you. We wanna take five minutes to talk to you, five minutes. Not gonna give you a tattoo, not gonna spam your email. Would you just, all of you from the top to the very front, would you walk right over here to this door? Just do that right now, come on, right now, come on. Take a friend with you, take a friend with you. Come on, take a friend take a friend, go with them right now. Take a friend all the way from the very top, all the way here, front row. Take a friend with you. We're going to take five minutes just to talk to you about your first steps as a new believer, because this, y'all, we just, y'all, we just saw 37 people put their faith in Jesus Christ right here at Foothills Church. Hey, I know y'all hoping the volunteers win another national championship, and I've been praying and fasting for 26 years that the Cowboys would. If they both win a championship this year, it's nothing compared to what we just saw Jesus do right here in this room today. Could you stand up on your feet with me? Everybody up on your feet. Lord, thank you for what you have just done right here in our midst. The miracle of salvation, that never gets old, we'll never get over it. Thank you, God, for 57 people today at this church who have crossed over from death to life. Thank you for the miracle of salvation and that people today did not waste their last chance. In Jesus' name, amen.